And so, uh, if you'll stand for the reading of the word, we're going to go to Genesis 33. Genesis 33, looking at verses 18 through 20. And I want to get this message out. It's it's not a long message. It's short. It's to the point. Um, I just I pray that God will help me to deliver it because I, I really think that there are some people here today who need desperately to hear what I'm about to say. Look at verse 18 of Genesis 33 with me. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. Everybody say Canaan. That's the promised land, you know. When he came from Paddan Aram and he pitched his tent before the city and he bought the parcel of land where his tent was from the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel. And I'd like to entitle today's message, Are You Renting or Buying? Are You Renting or Buying? And I want to say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your good word. I pray that you would anoint me to speak the way it needs to be spoken for us to hear the way it needs to be heard, God, challenge us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Everybody say amen. You may be seated. The house we live in now is the 16th house we've lived in, the 16th place we've lived in 28 years. And we've lived in it the longest, and we have no plans to ever leave it. Ever. Thank you. Twelve of those places we rented. That's a lot of renting. We rented apartments. We rented houses, even a condo, which we skipped out on that lease, but that's another story. That was before Jesus. We were never tied down for more than a year in those leases. We were extremely mobile. We could turn on a dime. As a matter of fact, even one of the places we were buying for almost four years and lived there was even a very mobile place. This is a picture of it right here. Check it out. That was luxurious living. Me and Valerie, two kids at the time and a dog named Rooftop. And that was uh, brutal, but we didn't know it so much at the time. We loved it. I was a realtor for 13 years. You may not have known that about me. And there is a difference, you know, between a, 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 a realtor. It's pronounced realtor. It's not realtor. It's realtor. Uh, you know, there's a difference between somebody just sells real estate and a realtor. I was a realtor, right, Phyllis? I was a realtor for 13 years and always buy, never rent. I was spoken just like a realtor. For one thing, we make more money when you buy rather than when you rent. I'm just saying. But it's better for you also. Uh, I, I sold houses. I bought houses. I managed rent houses. 
And from my own experience as a renter and a buyer and from my experience as a realtor, I can tell you there is a big difference between renting and buying. Buying is for the long haul. I mean, that's why you get a 30-year loan, 30-year fixed rate. That's what you're after, you know, a good, a good mortgage. That's why you have that mortgage deduction every year. You can file on your taxes. Thank you, Jesus, for that mortgage deduction. Uh, and then another thing about buying is you end up taking care of what you buy because you have to. Because if you don't take care of it, ain't nobody else going to take care of it, right? You got to take care of it. You're more responsible with those homes, those places that you buy. I remember when Wesley and Kelly were renting a house in the distant past, moved into this house over here off Old Jefferson. It was a great house, old and charming. It was centrally located, had a big old lot. Brother Barber, you got to remember this too. It's a nice house, man. It was cool. They they did it upright, and and everything was awesome until they found the black mold. Right? You got to put the definitive article in front of it. It makes it even more hideous. The black mold. It's like the black spot with pirates. Right? They they got the black mold, and you know what happened? They were out of there. But you know who wasn't out of there? Well, besides the black mold. The owner, the owner had to deal with the mold. The owner had to take care of it. The owner had to remedy it, find out a way to take care of it because because that owner owned it. That owner was buying it. Aaron and Tyler, bless their hearts, Tyler moved down here, and they moved into an apartment. Man, it was incredible. I mean, Aaron was so happy. He'd been living in the chapel forever and a day, and He's moving out, man. He's he's growing up. He's he's just he's moving. Out. Tyler's moving down. So the brothers are getting an apartment. They got a fantastic apartment. Moved into it. They were thrilled until Aaron called me up, and I, I thought he was he may have been. I, I I could be mistaken, but it sounded like he had been shedding a few tears. He was definitely on the bottom. He was depressed, and he said, "We're gonna have to move." I'm like, "What's wrong, Aaron?" And he said, well, we have, we have pests. I'm like, you have pests? What kind of pests do you have? Well, we have bugs. I'm like, you got roaches? What? He's like, no. Like, you didn't want to say it. Didn't even want to say it. I'm like, tell me, Aaron, what is it, son? You can be honest with old Uncle Donovan. He said, we have bed bugs. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then the next words out of his mouth, made me think. He said, can we come stay with you? I'm thinking, well, you got bed bugs, son. We're going to have to decontaminate you and your stuff and your brother and his stuff. (laughs) There are levels of existence to which Aaron has never gone until this go around. I've been there, done that. I've had all, we had all kinds of issues. And, And so he's getting rid of furniture. Like, what do you do with the furniture? I mean, he's throwing Throwing it away. Tyler had a brand new mattress. Throwing it away. They're like, where do we throw it away? I'm like, well, you take it to the dump. you got to pay some money and take it to the dump. He's like, oh, man, is, is that the only option? I'm like, well, n- not really. <laughs> you know, I'd feel bad 
telling you some of the things I've done <laughs> to get rid of furniture through the years. You know, there's levels of existence I've just kind of had to go to because of my finances, right? And, and I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to say, well, here's, you need to go throw it behind Albertsons. Or, I didn't want to say anything like that. I go throw it out on a high line somewhere. Who cares? It's infested anyway. But I was very stout on, but do not bring it to me. Do not put it in my garage. Do not leave it at life point. <laughs> like, let's burn it, you know. <laughs> you know what he did? You know what they did? Well, I told you. They moved out. They were out of there. But you know who wasn't out of there? Ladder and Bloom, the owners of that building. They're going to have to decontaminate it. God, we hope they did decontaminate it and worked on it. And the Lord have mercy. That's, that's a big problem to deal with. But those buyers, the people that have bought in, they have to deal with it. Their consequences are greater because when you're buying, you have skin in the game. And when you've bought a house, when you've gone to the trouble, it's a lot of trouble to buy a house. It's not like it's an easy, easy chore. Now, you've got realtors like Phyllis, wonderful people. They'll walk you through it and help you, and, 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 and I've done that, and we've had others. But, but the deal is, you, you look at all these listings, and let me just give you a word of advice. You know, don't waste Phyllis's time. If you're not going to buy, just don't do it, right? Just don't go. She's not your tour guide. That was free, Phyllis. But if you're going to buy, go call Phyllis up. She'll take you around. And you go look at all these listings. And, and you do all your homework. And your realtor does homework for you. And you, you get all these inspections and appraisals. And you save your money. And, and you work on your credit score. And you jump through all these hoops, you put all that money down, and you sign on the dotted line. And there's a record down at the courthouse that says, you bought this baby. It belongs to you. You dug down, you invested, you're deeply in debt usually to get that house. So you're not going to just walk away when something goes wrong, you know, when you got an electrical problem or when the heat has a problem, you're just not going to walk out. You can't call the mortgage company and says, hey, the heat don't work. I need you to send somebody out to fix it. They're going to say, well, you got to fix it. You have the responsibility. It's yours. There's just something about buying versus renting. Renting is shallow. Buying is deep. And today I want to compare renting to buying when it comes to the things of God. A.W. Tozer once said, and I'll summarize it, to speak of the deeper life is not to speak of anything deeper than the New Testament experience. What's called the deeper life in church is deeper only because the average Christian's life is so tragically shallow. You've heard me say it before, and I believe it with all my heart. I am not so interested in being conservative or liberal as ne nearly as much as I am about being deep or shallow. I do not want a shallow church. I do not want a shallow experience with Jesus. I want something that goes down deep. And, and, and to go down deep, you have got to dig and you've got to buy in You've got to turn from being just a renter into a buyer. We have a new family that's coming in, the Powells. Tyler and Tori, they're already down here, and 
and, and we've had some others that have moved into town. Uh, Michael's family's moved into town. And, and, and there's something that we all have in common, uh, these that have just moved in. They're, they've recently moved here, and, and it's, everything's new to them. And, and I'm, I'm not, it's not all about, they're not all buying real estate per se, at least not yet. But, but if you do, call Phyllis. But they are settling in and buying into the area. Like through jobs, school, communities, relationships, friends, church. We say it like this. This is the way we describe that when you move to a new area and you begin to put down roots. You begin to put down roots. And I've learned it's proportional. The deeper the roots, the greater the stability. Deep roots equals stable life. In Matthew 7, Jesus told the story of two men who built houses. One had a shallow foundation. The other one dug down deep and laid the foundation deep below the surface. And when the storm came, the one that had the deep foundation, the deep house stood while the shallow house fell away. I want Life Point to be a deep house. I want my walk with God to be a deep walk with God because I want to still be standing when the storm leaves because, hear me, the storm's going to come. And I want to still be standing when the storm has gone. I don't want to be destroyed by the storm. But you have to have depth. You've got to dig deep. In Mark chapter 4, the word fell on hard ground and it, it sprouted up like a seed. The seed sprouted up, but there was no depth. And when the sun burned down, that little sprout, that little twig just dried up. We have to have depth because there's days when the sun burns hot and, and it's, it's tough. And I want to still be standing through those lean times. Let me ask you a question. Are you shallow or are you deep in your walk with God? Are you renting or have you bought in? Can you walk away or do you have skin in the game? You've got to have skin in the game. In our reading, Jacob had lived such a shallow life. He had lived such a shallow life, man. Just here to there, no roots, no commitments, no strings attached. He had moved in and out and all around and through. and He had been near the promises, but he had never bought in. To God's covenant promises. He was just renting. He had never dug into the promised land. He was just renting. Years earlier, his dad, Isaac, had bought in. Even earlier, his grandfather, Abraham, had bought in. But somehow, Jacob, it had not yet passed to him. He was shallow. No depth, just renting, drifting, wondering. But he had a shift in his life. Hear what I'm saying. He had a shift. He had a crisis. From wrongs that he had done way back in his past. Against his own brother. Against his family. The past was hunting him down. He was facing some trouble like he had never faced before. It was tough, man. He felt the pressure of it. Esau 
had an army that had been tracking him for years. And they had finally zeroed in on him. They knew exactly where he was. They had recon that already identified Jacob and his family. He's got a big family and an entourage, little kids. And, 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 and here, here is Esau hunting, tracking him down, knows exactly where he is, has zeroed in, and, and has an army coming after Jacob. Jacob is desperate. Like he is, he's at the end of his rope. There's nowhere else to run. He's hit a wall. He's about to come face to face with his past. He was about to meet the wrath of his twin brother who he had done wrong so many years ago. And seeing the danger, understanding it, he's fearful. He's full of desperation. And you know, he decides it's time to seek the Lord. Now, it would have been great had he sought the Lord before the trouble came. But I've come to realize sometimes it takes the trouble to call some of us hard-headed folks to seek the Lord. Thank God for the trouble that drives me to Him. Let it drive me to Him and not from Him. When you're facing the trouble, Wayne, when you're facing the tough times, don't run away from God. Run to God. I mean, when you're at the end of your rope, don't go get drunk. Don't go do some drugs. Don't go off the deep end and leave your family. Seek the face of God. Because I know a God who is faithful and full of mercy. Here's the trouble. It, it, it drives him to the Lord. The trouble was part of the process of getting Jacob from being a renter to being a buyer. He was facing something he couldn't run from. His past had caught up with him. He couldn't fake it. He couldn't hide from it. His family was about to be hurt because of it. So he got alone with God. There's some people here in this house today, and you have faked it for a long time, but you're in a place where you can't fake it anymore. And you've hidden for a long time and been on the run, but you can't run any further. And you're in a desperate, desperate place. I'm here to tell you, when you cry out to God with all of your heart, the writer said, seek me, speaking of God, with your whole heart, and you will find me. In Psalm 40, David said, I waited patiently for the Lord. And we tend to think of that as that he just waited and waited and waited. But it means he was expectant and he was constantly crying out to God. It, it says as much, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined and heard my cry and pulled me up out of the miry clay. He just didn't sit in the miry clay, but he cried out to God while in the miry clay. Oh, God, if you don't get me out of this pit, I'll never get out. I'm crying out to you, God, deliver me. I am in a trap, and I can't escape. I am broken. I need help. And, and, and David would say in Psalm 51 that he is near to those with a broken and a contrite spirit. I'm telling you, if you cry out to God in your brokenness, in desperation, he will hear you. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out 
And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps round about those that fear the Lord. It doesn't say this rich man. It doesn't say this strong man. It doesn't say this man that had it all together. It said this poor man broke. We say we're broke when we're poor, right? This broken man, poor and broken down with no strength, cried out to the Lord. And he heard me. Aren't you glad for an ear that's not heavy that he can't hear and an arm that's not short that he can't save? Give God some praise right now. And that night when Jacob cried out in desperation, the God of Abraham and Isaac met him. You know the story. It was a wrestling match. It was really a test. How bad do you want me, Jacob? You've been a renter. You've tucked tail and run so many times and for so many years. You've given up. You only wanted me in convenient times. You've come in and out of the promises. You've looked at them. You've tasted and seen they were good, and then you walked away. How desperate are you, Jacob? And it was a wrestling match. It's not like the Lord couldn't wrestle Jacob and beat him. It was a test. How bad do you want to change? It was getting him to buy in and to dig deep and to commit for the long haul. Jacob refused to let go. As a matter of fact, he said it. I will not miss this moment. I will not let you go until you change me, until you bless me. I know you touched my grandpa, and I know you touched my dad. I know you did some great things in my ancestors, but they're not here. I'm the one in trouble, and I will not let you go. Think of the audacity. But he had him, right? He was in the presence of the Lord. There's been times in my life when I hadn't felt God. I was so disconnected. I was so carnal. I I was so messed up. And and, and then I got in a desperate situation. And when I finally got in the presence of the Lord, just a tiny, I felt a goosebump and I knew God was in the house in desperation, in in the spirit. I don't know how to describe it, but I was like leeching on, like, don't leave me. Don't leave me. I'm so desperate. I haven't felt this in a long time. I, I need to be lifted up. Like it was this, that's what Jacob was facing. I'm de- I will not let you go. I will not leave this place. I will not let you go. I will hold on. I will fight. I will fight. I will fight. And what was he doing? He was putting down down payment money. He was up in his credit score. He was going, he was looking at the inspections, man. He was signing the dotted line. He was buying in because it was time. For him to turn from being a renter into a buyer. And God, the Holy Spirit is provoking some of us in this house today. Some of us have just been renters, man. Easy come, easy go. Church is not going good. Walk away from it for a few months or a few years till we get in some more trouble. Things are not going like I thought. I'm burned out. This one offended me. I'm tired of that. I don't know about that message the preacher preached. And we just in and out and in and out and renting. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is challenging some of us. It's time to be a buyer. Buy in. Settle 
settle in for the long haul. Put down some roots and watch what God does. Are you with me? It's a simple message. Jacob, son, you've been shallow. And I'm challenging you to go deep. Some of you, you held off on buying. What if it doesn't work out? What if I get hurt? What if I don't like it? What if I find something better? I hate to buy into Life Point, you know. Let's just take it in church. I hate to buy into Life Point because what if I buy into Life Point and then like another church opens up? You know, so much church growth. I, I've been in church planting now for 20 years, over 20 years, 20, almost my entire ministry. Never thought I'd be a church planter. As a matter of fact, Wayne, when I was a kid, there, there were foreign missionaries, we call them, and home missionaries. They have different names now, global missions, North American missions, et cetera. But, but in the olden days, it was the foreign missionaries and the home missionaries. And the foreign missionaries, man, they were like rock stars. They came in. They were selling their wares like the McFarlands out here. You know, they had all this exotic stuff, you know, rams, horns. Uh, thank DJ got me a shofar. You know, it ain't long before old DH pulls out the shofar. I'm, I'm practicing. I'm getting my lips in shape because we'll have to blow the trumpet in Zion. You know what I mean? I see an illustration coming down the road with the old shofar. You're not a real preacher unless you got a shofar, right, and blow it, you know. So I'm going to. Pull out that shofar. I might get me a shoulder strap for it, you know, like a shotgun or something, a rifle. 30, about the size of a 30, 30. Pull a little shoulder strap on it. I'll just put it on my back. And when I feel like, when it hits me, it's shofar time, right? I maybe can get my shofar, blow it, get somebody to hold my bullhorn in front of it, get a mic on it. Anyhow, I'm thinking out loud, but <clears throat> those global missionaries would come in, and man, they were so amazing bringing their stuff from all around the world. and I would look at it, and I was just amazed. I remember one missionary came, and I think they were maybe the stewards from Liberia. I preached about them. They came to our church, and there were bullet holes in his uh, cloak. He wore a robe or tunic over there, and he had been shot through. Boom. And there were bullet holes, and I remember looking at those like a museum piece. And it just they were amazing. But i got to be honest with you. The home missionaries that came to my home church, man, they, they were not real cool. I just got to be honest. I remember this one family, and I won't call their names. I hadn't seen them in years and years and years, but I remember their names. Man, they presented terrible. Like, they looked so homely, and the, the, the guy was, like, so out of style, and there was, they didn't have any goods to sell, and they were going somewhere out west. And, and I just remember looking at them thinking, wow, I never want to be one of those guys, you know. Like, how depressing. And the, and the guy was depressed, got, got up and he's like, you know, we're going to try to start a church out here. And, oh, it's so hard. You know, and it was just like that. It was just depressing. And I'm like, I chalk it up, never want to do that. Well, <laughs> careful what you say, right? I did. I've done that for 20 years. I've been a church planter. Thank you. Valerie's <laughs> getting me back on track. And in church growth. Wow, I did the full circle, sorry. But what, when, when I go to conferences, I go to these church growth conferences, and I've visited 
large churches. There's a lot of churches. Here's how it grows. Here's how they grow right here. Like, they go into an area, and they're, like, super-duper cool, super-duper hot. They have connections, and they get 300 people from this big church. They get 275 people from this big church. They get 125 people from this medium-sized church and 75 from this little church, and, and, and they, they blow up by transfer growth. And then when they have about 1,000, they're put on a circuit to go teach people how to grow churches. And I've researched this. I've talked to them. I've gone, I've gone to the empty churches that people left. I've gone to the churches that have just grown so fast, and it's like, man, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. And I just realized they just took people from a bunch of other churches. And here's the deal. My justification for planting LifePoint is that I feel like our message is a little different and a little straighter than a lot of other churches. I'd be a fool if I didn't tell you I believe that. Because if I didn't believe that, if I didn't believe our message was distinct enough to justify the planting of this church, I'd go join another church and help them grow. I'm just being honest. Churches grow. A lot of church growth, a lot of church growth is just simply transfer growth. People just Moving to the latest and greatest. And what am I saying? I'm saying people have bought in to the look and the atmosphere. But there's something to be said about buying in to the message and to the Lord. Going beyond just cultural that's what I talk about cultural Christianity the church that looks good and whatever what about the truth and what about buying in buy the truth and sell it not what about buying in and say I ain't going nowhere now I understand there's a time to leave we've all left churches or at least most of us a lot of us have left churches here and there for different. I've left churches. There's a time to go. I'm not saying it's not a time to go, et cetera, like that. I'm just saying there's something to be said about buying in. Here I am. I'm not moving to the left or to the right. If everybody I know leaves and walks away, I ain't leaving. When, when I came to Jesus, I'm telling you, it was such a dramatic experience. I and I've had plenty of opportunity, just like every one of us, to walk away. But I had such an experience with God. I said, God, please, I'll never, I'll never walk away. Never walk away. Everybody walks away. Valerie walks away. I'll never walk away. You've changed my life. I've seen a light. I've seen the truth. I can't abandon this. I can't walk away from you. I'm here. But why? Because I went from being a renter to being a buyer. This is mine. This is my Jesus and my relationship with God. And it's not based and predicated on somebody else. It's me and the Lord. And I'm going to walk this walk until the day I draw my last breath. Till the day I die. I'm not leaving. 
America can go to hell in a handbasket and the Constitution can be trashed and the nation can go the, the way of Cain and the way of Balaam and, and go to Antichrist, but I'm going to serve my Jesus if they put me in an electric chair because my Jesus is real. It goes deep. I got skin in this game. You know what I mean? Stand with me right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Today, we graduated 12 in Discover Life. I love it. Buying in, settling down. And I love the fact that before the day is over, we're going to baptize Salvador in the name of Jesus. I love it. Buying in, settling down. And there are more people in this room. You've not been baptized in water, baptized in Jesus' name. There are more people in this room. You've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. We are entering a season of harvest when it comes to these things. Some of you, it's time. It's time for you to be filled. It's time for you to make that step of water baptism. And there's people in this room, God's calling you to a, a life of holiness like never before, where you've got skin in the game. You've got to make up your mind. I am not moving again. I'm going to live right here. I am investing right here. i got more to say, but I'll tell you this. Jacob learned many lessons, but he learned how to raise his kids. He had a couple of jewels, right? He had a Joseph He had a Benjamin. He raised him when he bought in. He raised him in the place that he he had skin in the game. And those boys were different. Those boys would change the world. Joseph would save his generation. Would be a massive link in God's masterful plan because his daddy bought in. Some of you, your kids, I'm telling you, if you don't buy in, they're going to go wild. They're going to go crazy. They're not going to believe what you believe. They're going to run away. I'm just telling you, they're going to do it. They smell the insincerity. They can sniff it out. When you got skin in the game, they know it. They pick up on it. They know daddy's real. Mama's real. They're not going anywhere. And those kids will say, I'm going to buy in just like my dad. Buy in just like my mama. I'm going to buy in. It doesn't mean they'll be perfect. They'll make plenty of mistakes just like you did. But it means they've got a, a core. They, they're going to go back to it. Just change my dad's life. And, and, that's say, I, and they'll have their own desperate encounter. I'm not leaving until you bless me. And they'll settle in that same land. And, and their God, will be, it'll be your God. It'll be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It'll be your God. Y'all will be in the same covenant. You'll, you'll be the same tribe, the same people. It's a beautiful thing. You've got to invest. That doesn't just happen. Your kids don't just do what you just, first of all, you don't leave it up to them and to make all their decisions. Their, their kids are ignorant. You got to train up a child in the way that he should go. But then secondly, you got to be real. If you ain't real, they know it. You got to buy in. God's calling some of us to go from renting to buying today. In real estate, you've got what's called a contract. It's an agreement to buy or sell. You know, people get all legalistic. They're like, well, it's, it's just an offer 
when you write the thing. But once it's accepted, then it's a contract. I'll do this, you do this. And they go through all the stipulations. And they say, this is what I'll do, this is what you'll do. And then they all sign the dotted line. I got a contract right here. Seven pages worth. Big old, big old thing, man. Lays it out. You know what? It's very restrictive. It is very encumbering. It is very legalistic. It's got requirements of me. It's got me committing to things. It's got consequences if I don't follow through. And it's got the same on the other end, the other party. And we sign that agreement. You know what happens then? We got skin in the game. We can have a verbal agreement. I know the law is, I'm not a lawyer, but the law, you know, we had a verbal agreement. Okay. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But I got a written agreement. That's something altogether different. I got skin in the game. It's not something that I'm, I'm like, uh, oh, I just, I, actually, I threw it away. I threw the contract away. I didn't think it was important. No, I know it's important. It, it's, it, there's something very important in here. I got skin in the game. And this becomes your Bible. You start getting down towards closing. Well, what was I supposed to do? Oh, yeah. You, you got to check that stuff. I did it. I did it. I did it. What am I saying? I'm saying that God has a covenant. He's got some things some of us have only been renting. And it's time to buy in. Say, I'm not leaving. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Please, across this room. Please, just bow your head. Close your eyes. Father, Lord, we are unworthy of uh, you even, (laughs) you know, giving us a chance in the first place. But God, it only makes sense that if if you have reached out to us and answered our desperate cry, then maybe we should dig in and say, I'm never going to let you go. I've gotten into your presence, and you know my needs. And God, I'm... It's going to be different this time. I'm going to sign a contract to buy. Not to lease, not to rent, not temporary, but forever. Forever and ever and ever, I'm signing on. I may make mistakes. I may make some failure, have some failures, but God, I'm buying in. Holy Spirit, convict hearts right now. Cut to the quick, Lord. Take. These faltering words of a preacher in Prairieville and cut to the, through the fleshy heart of mankind to that spirit realm and convict and convince us that Jesus is Lord. Nothing short, nothing less than El Elohim, the Almighty God. The provider requiring everything of me, nothing less. It's time for me to go from being a renter to being a buyer. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus.